I'm going to try to shorten this talk a little bit because I really feel like we're supposed to go back into worship, and I want to shorten this a little bit to go back into a time of worship. It was just such an amazing, um, amazing morning so far with the worship and then also the testimonies of just healing, and I feel like the Lord just wants to, to enter in this time, and I, I believe he wants to just kind of come in and say he's the living God, he is alive, and he wants to bring healing and restoration and deliverance, so I want to just really press back into that. I'm, I'm going to speak for a few minutes, and then we're going to go back into worship. So we're in Ephesians 2. Before I get going, I want to announce something real fast, a quick announcement. We are going to have an Alpha Marriage course coming up at the end of March. I want to announce that. It's Valentine's Day. This is a good segue for it. We're going to, be, we're going to have, the marriage ministry team is going to have this amazing experience. It's, a, it's been a long, long-standing thing called the Alpha Marriage Course. And they've rebooted it, restructured it in the past couple of years. It's really, it's been modernized. But this is going to be an amazing experience for couples to come out once a week on a Wednesday night starting March 31st for six weeks. There'll be a teaching time. You can also do it virtually from home. But we'll have a, basically it's going to be a date night for, for folks to come out and have a time for about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes from 645 to probably 730, March 31st for six weeks. And so the more, more details are coming. I want to put that on the, on the radar for you guys. We're really excited about this. It's been a long time. We've, we've done it before two or three times in the past, um, and it's been a while. But this is a great way to kind of connect with your spouse. It's not for people who are in crisis. It's not for like you're, if you're, you're really broken in marriage. It's for anyone to enrich their marriages. And so we're excited about this coming thing. All right, let me pray for us real fast as we get going. I need to just recenter myself here. I'm perspiring. Okay. God, thanks for this time. Thanks for your love. Thanks for the power of your presence, Lord. I thank you for the testimonies, the worship. And God, we just ask you to open your word to us and open the truth of who we are in you this morning. Thank you for the book of Ephesians, for Paul's words that are from your spirit, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in, this, in this, we're in this series called One, Jesus and His Church. And this book is all about oneness. And so we're in chapter two. It's a great Valentine's message. You were dead in your sins. Okay, that's how it starts. It's going to be a little dark, dark, dark beginning, but we'll get to the good part. But let me, let me read from the beginning the first three verses. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Paul says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Heavy stuff. Happy Valentine's Day. Heavy stuff. It's like you were dead in your sins. You followed your fleshly desires. You were slave to the enemy of your soul, the devil. And it's all past tense. And Paul kind of gets a bad rap for being this guy that people, people theologians, some, some would say, you know, Paul twisted Jesus' words and Paul changed the message of Christianity. And that's just nonsense. Jesus said these things. We, just don't, we don't like to look at them or we gloss over them for the, for the other stories. But Jesus said these things and Paul is just developing this idea. Jesus said... In John chapter 8, verse 34, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Paul is saying the very same thing. He's saying that you are a slave to your desires, your flesh, and the enemy. Jesus goes on to say in verse 42, same chapter, 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. Whoa, Jesus said that. Strong stuff. Paul didn't invent this stuff. Paul didn't just come up with this stuff. He's, he's, he's harnessing the teachings of Jesus to systematize it. He's very, very advanced. And he's, his, his Greek is the most developed Greek. Last week um, in Jared's talk, in the, in the Greek, it's the longest sentence in all of Scripture. This is the second longest sentence. Verses 1 through 5 are one sentence in the Greek. It's crazy. It's a long, long, long text. But Paul is developing this idea that Jesus introduced the truth is the world apart from Jesus, the world apart from the work of Jesus Christ is dead and deceived. And this is a hard thing to say. If you're visiting today, if you're not following Jesus, this is not a happy, seeker-sensitive message. It's like, it's arrogant to say in a sense, unless it's true. If it's true, it's, it's the, the greatest news ever. It's like if you go to a doctor and you're dying of a disease and he says, let's just treat the symptoms. And he never tells you the real issue that you're dying from something. And I have the cure. He has the cure. It's going to be really hard to go through treatment, really hard to go through all the process. It's going to be shocking to your system. And he, he avoids all that to tell you, let's just treat your cough. Let's just treat your, your, your stomach problems. When you're dying and he has the cure. So Paul is saying, this is the condition of the world. The world is dead. Spiritually dead in sin and transgression, slaves to themselves. That doesn't, that doesn't mean everyone is as bad as possible. That doesn't mean that, that everyone is just doing the worst they can possibly do. It means that people that look alive may not be. I mean, it, may, it may mean that your, your friend that's giving you advice about your marriage that doesn't know Jesus may be listening to the wrong voice for you. As I began thinking about this, I thought, what voices are we listening to? in our own culture, in our, in our friendships, in our work relationships, on the TV? Are those people sanctified souls speaking to you, telling you what to do with your life or your finances or your relationship? Are they dead? Are they dead? Not that they can't give you good advice sometimes or say things that sound wise, but measure it against the truth of God, measure it against the word of God. Because what may sound logical may be completely unbiblical. You know, completely unbiblical. So Jesus introduced this idea, and Paul develops it. He lays the groundwork to say, this is the condition. You were. Past tense. He's talking to these Ephesian Christians, these Gentiles, not Jews. They didn't know anything about the law or the, the, the Mosaic covenant. They were, they were just Gentile Christians, new believers in this crazy city where there was a, a pagan temple to Artemis with 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 temple prostitutes and horrible things going on in that city. They were, they were probably worshiping that false god. And Paul's saying, you were, you're a slave. You were a slave. And now God's called you out of this. And here's the great news. Verse 4, going forward. But because of his great love for us, God, rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace You've been saved. But God, that, that phrase, I've heard sermons on but God. You know, but God. It's like, this is going this way, but God. We heard that today in testimonies. It was going like this, but God. You know, there's 31, at least 31 times in Scripture where the, the verses say, this is, this is going on, but God. I'll read a few of them just to run through fast. Genesis 31, 42. It's not on the screen. 
If the God of my father had not been with me, you would have surely sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. Genesis 50, you intended harm for me, but God intended it for good. Second Chronicles, don't be afraid or dismayed, dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. My heart and flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my life, my portion forever. Jonah 2.6, Jonah's in the belly of the whale. It's such an amazing picture. He says, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me forever, but the Lord my God brought me up from the pit. He put him there. He put Jonah in the pit, and he brought him out of the pit. But God, Acts 3.15, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. In Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, folks, whatever you're going through this morning, good or bad, like there's always a but God. Like there's, there's whatever the hardship is in your life, whatever the failure of your life is, there's always a but God. Like there always is that moment you can say, I'm going through this. I've done that. But God is greater, is stronger, is more forgiving, is able to heal. But God is with you. And he wants to remind us of that this morning. That he is right here. Moving on. Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus. That's about identity. Paul's moving from from the status of the world to what what God did to who you are now. God raised you up in Christ and seats you in heaven with Christ. In other words, your citizenship is no longer here. Like you are here and you're physically and spiritually here, but you have access now to the very same thing Jesus has access to, the Father. All the blessing, all the power, all the joy. You have access to that very thing. You're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's really who we are. We're we're heavenly beings in a temporal body. And he did that because in the coming ages, he wants to show the incomparable riches of his grace. That word grace is so powerful. Paul is the grace guy. He gets a bad rap. But he, he is the, he's the grace guy. Jesus never says grace. In the Gospels, there's four times it occurs. And it wasn't by Jesus, but it occurs four times in all four Gospels. Paul uses it over 80 times. 80 times he uses the word grace. It's this idea, again, mercy and grace are a little different. Mercy is like you deserve something and you're shown mercy, so, so there's, no, there's no consequences. But grace is you deserve something, you're shown mercy, and you're given an ice cream cone. Like, it's the idea that there's blessing, there's favor given to you, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, and you have access to the same thing that Jesus had access to. My kids are always talking about this. I've, I've tried, tried to explain mercy and grace to them. And my son's always like, he'll, you know, he'll do something, do something wrong, punch the other kid, other brother, you know, and he's like, Dad, will you show me grace? <laughs> it's like, not just mercy, but will you show me grace? Like, we take me out to get ice cream now, and I punched Asher. I mean, that's, that's smart, huh? But he doesn't really get it. Like, there's still someone who has to pay the consequence. So then I spank myself. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But that's kind of what God did. He gave the consequence to his son so that we would have access to God. Someone had to pay. Grace isn't free. It costs something. It costs the son of the living God dying on a cross for us. Grace is costly, but it gives us 
all the blessings that Jesus Jesus purchased for us. And if we just believe that, like if we just walk in this idea that I am, I have access to what Jesus did. This is who I really am. I can keep asking, like Bonnie said, I can keep asking. It's not like I'm just begging God as a beggar. We come as sons and daughters to him. We come as not as not as beggars or 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 just desperate people. We come as heirs of Christ, co-heirs of Christ, heirs of God. We come as his children. And he wants us to come to him. He wants us to just surrender. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's not taken aback by your weakness. He's not taken aback by your brokenness or your sinfulness. He perfects his grace in us. In fact, if you come with pride and you come with strength and you come with this boasting, he doesn't answer those prayers. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's the heart of the Father. Second Timothy says, He has saved us, 1.9. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ before the beginning of time. Then the famous verse, in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you've been saved. Through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not just ambiguous faith. It's not just positive thinking about something. It's not just, it's faith in Jesus. It's explicit surrender to Jesus. There are a lot of people who have faith. They have positive thinking or they have faith in something. But this is faith in Jesus. Paul is making very clear that that apart from Jesus, there's no hope. Apart from Jesus, there is no life. Apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness. You were dead, you were enslaved, and you were guilty. Jesus did not come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. He didn't come to make free people freer. He came to make people who were enslaved set free. That's why he came, y'all. And the world waters that down to make it a psychological gospel. He's, he made me a little better and I'm a little happier. I'm self-fulfilled. He came to raise you from the dead. He came to forgive you from you deserving to go to eternal separation. He came to give you life to the full. That's why he came. It's a radical, radical idea that he came to set captives free. And the world acts like they're free. But they're not. They're slaves. They're slaves to themselves. They're slaves to the enemy. They really are enslaved apart from Jesus. That's so arrogant to say. I'm up there going, oh my gosh, this is so politically incorrect. In a few years, I'm going to get arrested for this in a few years, probably. You know, (laughs) it's going to be hate speech in a few years, probably. But it's true. It's true, y'all. And the truth can set you free if you let it. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us. This is, this is the closing. That word handiwork is so beautiful. It means poema in the Greek. It's, it means poem. We are God's poem. It's like this idea that he's written you into his story. He's written your story into his story. And like you're part of this bigger story happening, the kingdom of God on earth unfolding, the beautiful redemption of the world through this story. You're created with purpose. It says Jesus 
in Christ Jesus, God prepared in advance good works for you to do. So you're not saved by works. Ephesians 2.8 says you're not saved by works, but you're saved for works, you've heard. You're saved for things. So the idea is that you, you can't do anything to merit or earn the forgiveness of God. But once you're given forgiveness, he's prepared works for you to walk in. He's prepared a life for you. And he wants communion and friendship and partnership so that you would walk in that and walk out the works he's prepared. It's not just that he saved you from something. I said this before. He saved you for something. He saves you from greed for generosity. He saves you from lust for purity. He saves you from bitterness for forgiveness. We talk about God set me free from this. but It's more than that. He sets you free for something. It's glorious. He didn't just leave you in that place of setting you free from. He sets you free for the works he's prepared in advance for you. This is the gospel. It's the greatest news. It starts off so dark and dismal and hard, but it's like, man, it makes the beautiful power of this truth so much more glorious. Do we know this this morning? Do we, do we feel it this morning? Like, we were dead. Like, I was dead, y'all. I was dead. In my lust and my anger, and he reached out. He doesn't crush broken, he doesn't crush a broken reed. He will not bruise a, a, a smoldering wick. He doesn't snuff it out. That picture, like a candle burning out. He, he doesn't go, oh, psh, Brian, you're done. You're done. You depressed little feeble thing. There's billions of other people. But he chose and called me. And he chooses and calls you. Maybe you feel like that smoldering wick this morning. That just, you're just kind of smoldering, just barely, barely burning. He can... He can change it all. But God. Let's stand. If the worship can come back up, that'd be great. I want to finish with maybe a song. I'd love to finish with the Agnes Day. That song is just so powerful. Let's just pray real fast and, and um, we'll sing and then Jocelyn will come up and do prayer ministry. Let's just be still for a second. I feel like he just wants us to soak in, like, this story of Ephesians. Let me pray. God, we love you. Who would we be without you? Where would we be without you? Without your grace, Lord. You plucked us from the fire. You set us free. Would you just remind us, Lord, and refresh us with this truth this morning? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just speak what we need to hear individually, wherever we are. we sing this song, this song is, is personal to me. I, I, I'd forgotten until this morning, this quick story. I was a 19-year-old in, in college, and I had just accepted Christ a year before. I'm laying in my, in my dorm, and I put this song on by Michael W. Smith, and I have basically like a, a vision, an open vision. It's only happened maybe once or twice in my whole life. 
And, and it was a picture of like the throne room. And I, and I was taken like through the heavens. I saw the stars and I saw like the throne room of God. And I hadn't even read Revelation. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't, I didn't even know what was happening. This song is, is, is just a picture of what's happening in the throne room. The four living creatures and the elders are casting down their crowns. And they're just singing these words over and over again. They never tire of seeing the beauty of Jesus. They never tire of the glory of this one, the slain lamb. So as we sing this, I just invite you to ask the Lord to take you up into a greater reality, the greater poem of God's story as we sing this together. <laughs>